0: This is a bonus update, so if you're joining us for the first time, please go back and start from episode one. Just a warning that this is recorded in the outback, where swearing is a national pastime. You've been warned. Have you got everything? Yeah, I think that's the last of it. Did you grab that phone charger? Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's Friday the 8th of April, 2022. We're packing up to leave Catherine. We've been here covering the second half of the coronial inquest into the disappearance of Patrick Joseph Moriarty, Paddy. He went missing from the tiny town of Larimer in 2017.
0: Um, Do we have enough fuel to get back to Darwin? Uh,
1: Yep, we should be okay. Okay, cool. The inquest first opened in June, 2018, It was unusually early, only six months after Paddy disappeared, because of the age and health of Larimer's residents, most of whom are retirees. All of them were called to give evidence. Back then, the inquest was adjourned to give police time for a full investigation. This week, the coroner heard more evidence and handed down a finding. Well... Well, That was unbelievable. <laughs> oh my god. I... I'm just gobsmacked. I don't know what to think.
0: Yeah, I mean, it has to be one of the weirdest
1: things that's... It's, like, ever happened in a courtroom. Right? Surely. I... I just don't even have the words, which is terrible when you're a person who works with words. Yeah, it's... <laughs> it is hard to explain what happened in there. Yeah, just... Gobsmacked and and sad. Yeah, really sad, actually.
0: Yeah. All right. What what? What are we looking at? Like three hours back to Darwin. Uh, yep. So we should be there by about two. All right. Do you wanna podcast?
2: Yeah.
1: I'm Kylie Stevenson, and my friend Caroline Graham and I have been following the case of Patty Moriarty for years. We made this podcast and we wrote a book about it, which came out last year, and now it's been four years since we released Lost in Larimer, and about four and a half years since Paddy disappeared. Now the Inquest findings have come back, and we're still in shock at what's happened. We've had lots of messages and questions, so we're making these bonus episodes to fill you in. But first, Carol is going to get you reacquainted with Larimer.
0: So by way of a brief rundown, Larimer is a very small town about five hundred kilometres south of Darwin in the Northern Territory. It's right on the Stuart Highway, and there's not much there. A pink pub, the Larimer Hotel or the Pink Panther, a Devonshire Tea House, an old abandoned railway line, and a handful of houses. It's home to roughly a dozen people. It's got a fascinating history, and almost everyone who lives there has their own story. But the reason this place is so well known now is that one of the 12 residents and his dog went missing and an extensive police search didn't find any trace of either of them. This is officer in charge of the case, Detective Sergeant Matt Allen.
3: Paddy was last seen at dusk on the 16th of December 2017 after he left the Larimer Hotel on his quad bike with his dog Kelly. They have not been seen since. Paddy was 70 years of age when he disappeared. He was 168 centimetres tall, with black and grey hair, wearing a white singlet, dark shorts, brown thongs and a dark cap. We have a photo of Paddy taken at the Larimer Hotel on the day he went missing, which shows what he was wearing. Kelly was a young female red kelpie.
0: Paddy's friends and Larimer residents Karen and Mark Rayner were some of the first people who went looking for him. They say one of the strangest things was that Paddy's house was exactly as he would have left it. His bank card and his keys were on the table, next to some dinner that was ready to be heated up. There was dog food out for Kelly, and she'd only eaten half of it. There was no sign of a struggle, but there was also no sign of Paddy or Kelly. I
4: had a look over the other side of his lantern toward the front of the house, and I saw his good hat. I said, Paddy wouldn't go anywhere without his good hat. He was going to go away to uh, Elliot or somewhere for a couple of days with his mate. He'd have taken that, if he was going to a party. No, hats are gone. That's that's not right, he hasn't gone anywhere. Where, where is he? I walked up the hallway to the bathroom. Um, so I said, well, his medicine will be here. is um, here, his medicine will be here because he takes blood pressure medicine. You can't go without that. And, uh, I didn't look in the in the cupboard. It was a, a mirror on the front, like like you pull the medicine cabinet. The medicine, the cabinet. Old medicine cupboard. And um, I didn't touch that. I just looked in there. Everything looked like it was still there. There it was, was really neat. And uh, everything bright. was just, just like he just used it like recently. Um, toothpaste, toothbrush, were just on the sink like It was still there. And. Um, I so I walked back out, but it was as I was walking back out, I got this really bad feeling that, that something terrible had happened. I can't even explain it. It was just a really bad feeling. It really upset my yeah, stomach. really, really eerie. Was... When
1: an extensive search found no sign of Paddy in the harsh scrub around Larrimah, the case turned into a murder investigation. Police quickly established there had been several long-running feuds in Larrimah, and suddenly... Everything that had ever happened there became relevant, and everyone in town was weighing in.
2: There's sort of, there is a bit of history around the town. There's some, there's some good people here, and, and uh, I'm afraid there's a few assholes.
3: He got the nickname for the bush pig, and he used to uh, call her to her face. You're just a bush pig used to be a local firebug too, which didn't help. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Who was the local firebug? Oh, I'm not going to say. on <laughs> uh, That particular night, Paddy uh, went and cut his penis off and threw that up a driveway. <laughs> and from then on, uh, friends' pies were called Doggy Dick Pies.
2: I said, you're a lying arsehole. That's all you are. I said, don't tell me any more lies, Paddy. I said, I'll finish up smacking your neck. I'm pissed off of you and that other little short arsehole. is always telling lies. Oh, he's been been done. done. Of course, he's been done. There's no two ways about it. He would have shown up by
3: now.
0: If you haven't already and you want to meet the people in Larimer properly, it's best to go back to episode one. It's worth it. People in Larrimah have so many wild yarns, some to do with Paddy, but many not. There are tales of the resident blind croc, of a maybe murdered pet buffalo, of a stolen train, and there are also a lot of feuds and fractures in the town, many of which came up in the police investigation. But in order to get to the inquest quickly, there's a particular tension that has turned out to be more important. And if there's one thing that everyone remembers about the case, it's the pie wars.
1: <laughs> Not much else to do in a small town. You may as well fight over pies. <laughs> what else do you do to kill the time?
3: The pie situation is... Um, well, at one stage, everybody in town was making homemade pies. The, the uh, service station and France and the pub were all making homemade pies.
2: $16, $17 for a pie... And anyone pays that amount of money for a pie, they got rocks in their head.
5: And then Bobby and Carl's daughter took over the pub years ago. She was nice, she was lovely, she made pies. A bit of a clash there, but not not nasty clash.
1: My aunt used to make pies as well, um, so she had her own pies. So normally if we were going to get a pie, we'd go to the roadhouse and get one from my aunt. Or then to mix it up, you'd go to the other end of town and eat another pie from Fran. So. Paddy's nearest neighbour was Fran Hodgetts. She lived directly across the highway from him. Their houses were the only two on the northern end of town.
5: My pies was the first one ever to be in the Northern Territory. My pies was the first one ever to do buffalo and camel and crocodile. It was the first. So it wouldn't matter what, who had... Even if they put a pie shop across the road, it wouldn't make any difference because nobody cooks the same.
1: Fran and Paddy had a few run-ins over the years, and not just about the pies. Here's the former Larimer Hotel publican, Barry Sharp.
3: She was tormented by it. He would uh, say of a morning when the, there's customers coming to her place, if they pull up on Patty's side of the road, Paddy would go over and talk to him. So, uh, he would say, Now listen, don't go over there. She's going to rob you blind. You can't eat the food, you're going to be sick. You know, <laughs> it always, and uh, it's would you know, she's just a dirty old bush pig. Don't go near her. <laughs> and a lot of them wouldn't. <laughs> you can see how that would irritate you. And it come to the stage where he couldn't even uh, go past a place without yelling out, you're nothing but a bush pig. You know, this sort of thing, you know.
1: Would she yell stuff back at him?
3: She used to, but she gave up. I, I find it really strange that anybody could out-talk Fran, but Patty won. He did. He had a, a bugger.
0: Fran claims that Patty poisoned her palms, stole her umbrella, abused her customers, destroyed her furniture and cut the cord to her security cameras. It got to a point where she applied for a court order against him. It happened every time she went out of town, she said. It was one of the reasons she advertised to find a live-in gardener or caretaker in August 2017, a few months before Paddy disappeared. She hoped having someone else there would help her look after the place. Owen Laurie took up the position in about September that year. He mostly kept to himself. Hardly anyone in the town had met him. He spent all his time at France.
5: No, he's a beautiful man. Honest. He's as tough as old boots.
1: In the first half of the inquest, the court heard Owen and Paddy had a fight, just days before Paddy disappeared. Paddy's dog Kelly sometimes roamed, and Owen yelled out to him when the dog wandered over to his side of the highway. Because of the trouble between them, the police conducted evidence searches of Fran's house and tea house and Owen's nearby bungalow, soon after Paddy went missing.
5: They done me safety out found nothing. They done me house out three times, found nothing. They'd um, done the incinerators out, found nothing. They just went through all my, my drawers and my... my um, where did we do anything? Yeah. They went through all my personal stuff. They took the receipts away. I haven't got them back yet. I've done 81 pages of statements.
1: Despite an extensive search, police failed to uncover any physical evidence.
3: The team has not have seized any evidence at this point to link anything to the disappearance of Paddy, unfortunately.
0: And so, for years, the town has been in limbo, mourning one of their own, and wondering if they'll ever find out what happened to Paddy and Kelly.
3: We miss him. We, we miss Paddy. He's like a, something missing around the pub. He lived here. Well, didn't live here, but he was here, you know. No, we miss Paddy. Oh, I miss Paddy. I really
4: do. He, it shouldn't just happen and he gets forgotten about because he's an old man. Well, he's our old man, though. He needs, he needs to come back here. You know,
2: there's not much going on around here. <laughs> like you got oh, old Paddy went missing, they reckon he'd be bumped off. But, um
1: Were you mates with Patty?
2: Were you mates with Paddy?
1: Were
2: you friends with him? Nah. <laughs> well, on and off. I've threatened to punch him in the head a few times. But um, I just saw that now I I just sort of keep away from him because it's not my scene anymore and I've got blame for doing things I've never done and and uh, one thing led to another. And then I got part from the pub over something I'd never done. So I thought, well, stick it up your arse, bros. I don't want nothing to do with it. And I just got away from it all, you know. What do you use girls have milk and sugar?
0: Alright, welcome back to Larimer. Um We have just finished covering the inquest um, we're back in in darwin um, in order to get this out quickly
1: we've actually constructed a a fairly badly built
0: studio <laughs> at home
1: this thing is certainly not structurally sound i no, feel quite it's more unsafe. of a fort <laughs> it's like a my son would love it it's it is it's a fort yeah
0: so excuse the sound quality but we wanted to make this happen quickly because there was a lot that happened at the inquest. But it's also been a lot of time since we released the podcast. Kylie, what's happened since?
1: Well, we wrote a book. Yay. <laughs> it came out last year. Um, but lo- there's been loads of reporting on Larimer and um, Patty's case. There's a great ABC documentary called The Dog Act. Um, down in Larimer, everyone is kind of, you know, carrying on with life. Uh, some residents have moved away. Uh, One has passed away, Barry Sharp, the publican, passed away a couple of years ago, and there are some new people in town, and now there's the inquest. Yeah,
0: so the inquest has really put the case and also Larimer back in the news. Um, It's been kind of an unusual inquest because it was held in two parts. So the first part happened almost four years ago, and one of the reasons they had to hold it so early was because so many of Larimer's residents were kind of in their later years. Um, Some of them were in ill health and police and the coroner thought it was critical to get, basically to get evidence heard by the coroner while it was still fresh. Um, So Kylie reported on that.
1: Yeah, so I went down to that uh, first inquest. It was two days in Catherine. Uh, It was really interesting just having all those people there together and um, we're going to go through all of that soon, but it's the latest inquest which came with some findings, well, the latest, set the second half of the inquest. Yeah, the reopened inquest, yeah. Yeah, um, that are really explosive. So I guess the uh, headline is the police uh, in that court proceedings, they released eight secret recordings of what appears to be a man talking and singing about murdering Paddy. We're going to present those in full later. But first, we just wanted to take you through that first inquest because quite a lot did happen there and um, it was kind of relevant and and is brought up again in the second half.
0: Yeah. And that's not kind of us wanting to string you along. It's really just that because it was held in two parts, there's things that happened in the first part that are kind of critical to understanding what Mm. happened this week. Um, I guess before we start, we should probably give a bit of a legal advice. So depending on when you're listening to this, this is still an open investigation. Um, Like a lot of people, we're really hopeful that there will eventually be a trial and that whoever is responsible for Patty's death will be held to account. It's an unfolding case and we'll just be cautious in what we say for that reason. And this isn't a plug, but we um, oh, it do cover- It kind of is a plug. <laughs> it kind of is a plug. There's a couple of chapters in our book that cover this in a lot of detail. A lot happened at the first half of the inquest, but Kylie, it was you who covered that for us. Do you want to give us a bit of a summary of what it was like?
1: So pretty much the whole town was called to give evidence. Um, there are a lot of things that were brought up as the day went on, the first day Uh Richard who Richard Simpson, he was the barman in Larimer and there were some people who suggested he had a grudge against Paddy, that he felt like he was more 2IC than Richard was and that um, that kind of irked Richard. A few people did say that and then uh, we also heard that Barry, the publican, Richard's boss, had actually fired him a few days before the inquest. And I
0: guess for, for people, it's been a couple of years since the podcast was released, but Richard Simpson had very much presented himself as a friend of Paddy in kind of those initial reportings.
1: Yeah, and he definitely said that at the inquest as well. He couldn't understand uh, why people were calling into question his relationship with Paddy. He certainly classified Paddy as a friend when he gave evidence at the at the first half of the inquest. Um, we also heard from a woman named Veronica Elliott who she was the woman who had sold Paddy his dog, Kelly. Uh, so she was kind of giving a bit of a character reference for a dog, I guess. <laughs> like she was yeah. kind of saying, you know, she wasn't a dog who got into fights. She wasn't a dog that roamed. Um, and that she felt like if Paddy had something had happened to him, that the dog would have returned possibly to her house because he'd only been, or oh, sorry, she had only been with Paddy for for a couple of months or maybe even a few weeks before uh, before the pair of them disappeared.
0: All right, and who else from town
1: was, was there? Uh, Carl and Bobby Roth, they both spoke at the first half of the inquest. Uh, Bobby talked about how she had worked for Fran in the tea house for quite a long time. And towards the end of her employment there, her and her husband Carl were asked to mine some money for Fran. Now, they say that that cash was uh, around $30,000 and they kept it in their safe for her and it was later collected. Um, and they also, along with Bill Hodgetts, who is Fran's ex partner who lives at the back of the hotel there, uh, also known as Billy Lightcan, both of them confirmed that Patty had done some pretty awful things to Fran over the years and that often Fran said things like, I'll kill him, but most of them agreed that he, that was kind of a, just a, a turn of phrase you know the kind of thing you always say when you when you're frustrated with someone anyone could say that um and they'd never really seen any real intent in that on that first day actually the other person who was interesting was a guy named Morris Darby do you you've interviewed him for the book we we went down there to yes, That's El- right yeah Elliot he lives yep. in
0: Elliot he was
1: a friend of Paddy's.
0: Yep he's got a a pretty extensive mustache I think he turned up to the inquest. I remember you saying in in a pair of quite short shorts. Yeah, um, quite an eccentric man, um, but was really kind to us when we went to interview him. Um, he was actually the person I think he collected the the cash from. Carl and Bobby. Carl and house, Bobby, and he described it. I will we'll never forget him describing it as two ammunition tins um, and it was like $6,000 of
1: coins, I think. It took the bank like hours to (laughs) count it. The bank weren't too impressed when he turned up with it. So he was actually working for Fran at the time. He was the gardener before Owen took the position and he told the story in court about the kangaroo situation where Paddy had – there had been some roadkill on the road. Paddy had thrown that over Fran's fence Fran had allegedly thrown it back over Paddy's fence, um, and, and this had happened a couple of times. So just some confirmation of those stories that we had heard from Fran before. So the second day of that first half of the inquest was when both Fran Hodgetts and Owen Laurie appeared. And Fran talked a lot about her cooking career in the Northern Territory and baking pies and how well known she was. And she also spoke about her relationship with Paddy. So she admitted that they had never gotten along, that uh, she had taken him to court once before for uh, poisoning her plants and doing other various things to her property. And uh, that she also spoke a lot about this money that Carl uh, and Bobby Roth had brought up and the police had also found $7,000 in her freezer when they came to search her property following Patty's disappearance.
0: So, And what was the reason she'd given for that money being there? I mean, I think a lot of people who live in cities might struggle to understand why someone yeah. might have so much cash.
1: Yeah, I mean, she did say, I can put my money wherever I like, which is very true. Uh, but what she did say was that this was her super. You know, she sort of the Northern Territory, you know, we have a wet season and a dry season up here and or in the top end anyway. And she has a lot of business tourists coming through in the dry season, but once it hits the wet, it's pretty quiet. And often she'd close up her tea house. So she would put her money away for that quiet time of the year to sort of see her through.
0: According to the inquest, where was Fran
1: when Patty disappeared? So Fran had gone to Darwin for a couple of days before Patty disappeared. She'd Uh, been up there buying some plants and uh, some water features and she returned to Larimer and she hadn't been back that long I don't think so uh, she had been pretty tired had gone to bed early she was home she says she didn't hear anything she didn't see anything she didn't um, you know there was nothing suspicious that happened that night that she could recall Uh, but there were some conversations with her gardener Owen uh, around that time where you know, she had spoken to him a lot about these police reports she'd filed about all these plant poisonings that she accused Paddy of being responsible for. And in a conversation that they had, uh, the court heard that she had warned Owen against planting some trees near the fence line. She said, you know, the boys will come over here and they'll they'll poison them. And he said, if anyone touches my plants, it will be the first murder in Larimer. So that was pretty pretty big to hear in the first half of the inquest. Of course, uh, Owen and Fran both said, you know, he'd said that in jest. He wasn't serious. Um, But it did kind of um, make a lot of headlines at the time. And Owen, as
0: context, he was Fran's live-in gardener and he was the only person we didn't talk to in the original podcast. Yes. Um, So in some ways... I mean, even for other residents of Larimer who hadn't met him either, he until this point had been quite mysterious. Mm. Um, it was really the first time a lot of people kind of had any real background about Owen. Can you tell us what came out at that first half of the inquest?
1: Yeah, we learn a little bit about Owen's past, that he had been a bore runner for many years, working on uh, stations across the Northern Territory, that when he was young he'd been a tent boxer, um, but now he was he was the same age as Paddy, actually. So he was 70 when Paddy went missing and he was suffering from uh, uh, osteoarthritis and sort of said, you know, that it's not possible that I could have done anything like this in, in my current condition. His back was too bad. He, he couldn't have harmed someone. Um, he did say that he and Paddy had had a confrontation on the road uh, right before Paddy disappeared. Uh, Paddy's dog Kelly had come over the road and... Owen had been yelling at the dog to go back. He, he said it wasn't a big deal, you know. It was He just told him to get his dog back into the house and was worried that the dog would be run over. Uh, but Richard Simpson also overheard that altercation and he sort of had a bit of a different, a different view of how that went and how sort of heated it was, I suppose. Um, it also came out in that first half of the inquest that Owen had received a message on his computer the night that Paddy went missing and he, he couldn't resolve the issue and a phone number came up. So he went out to the public telephone box. So we should remind you that Larimer doesn't have phone reception. So there is a phone box. It's directly out the front of Fran's place. Um, good place to stop, I guess, if your car breaks down to make a phone call because there's no other way to do that. Um, so Owen went out there and he made two phone calls to that number regarding that issue with his computer. And that was at around dusk, which was the same time that Paddy would have would have been driving back from the pub on his quad bike with Kelly. All right. So that's a couple of really big days
0: of evidence and quite a, a lot of things that had come out there. Um, but I guess what happened after that is it's almost like it kind of hit pause. Um, so that, as we said, was six months after the disappearance. And there's been a couple of years since. We've obviously been busy. Um, the case has kind of still been in the public eye. We were working on the book. But for a lot of people in Larimer, there was... You know, as far as this goes, a lot of waiting around for this to resume um, and hoping that they would get an answer when the case resumed or reopened. So that went on for years. What a resumption it was with the inquest. Yeah, incredible. Stay with us. We'll be releasing another episode shortly. In that episode, we'll be covering the second half of the inquest including a reading of the transcript from the secret tapes police have recorded, and also delivering the
1: coroner's findings. The police investigation into Paddy Moriarty's murder is ongoing, and a reward is still on offer for information that might lead to his remains or the conviction of his killer. Anyone with information on his disappearance is encouraged to contact Crimestoppers on one 1800 333 000. You can also contact us at lostinlarima at gmail.com and our book, Larima, is available at all good bookstores.
0: Lost in Larima is a production of The Australian. It was written and produced by Kylie Stevenson and me, Caroline Graham. This episode was edited by Leah Summerglue.
4: A troubled young woman...